What's up? Welcome to Bow Down, the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Tress. So as we are continuing to go through Song of Songs, um, we're in chapter 5 and we're going through this book chapter by chapter, verse by verse, just as a way of reminder for, for those of you to continue to journal, continue to meditate, ask the Holy Spirit, okay, what is, what is it that you're saying to me in this? Um, for me, as I continue to do that, um, verse, se- verse 6 and 7 really jumped out. Um, in chapter five today, so that's kind of where we're gonna we're gonna park. But uh, let's go ahead and kind of kind of catch up. Uh, Song of Songs five one through t- Song of Songs five verse one. It says, "I came into my garden, my sister, my bride. I gathered my myrrh with spice. I ate my honeycomb with my honey. I drank my wine with my milk." And so the king is responding to her request to come into the garden and take what is yours. Those that are watching this, they say, eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with love. She responds, I slept, but my heart was awake. A sound, my beloved is is knocking open to me, my sister. And so she's now quoting his words as she's lying on her bed. She's so meditating on his voice and what he has declared that as she's lying on the bed, she's thinking of the things that he has said to her. Listen, church, some of us can't fall asleep. And and listen, we don't want to count sheep. But we want to be sheep listening to the voice of our shepherd. And so when we're lying there, maybe worry or fear or concern is coming, be reminded that in Christ, we have the victory. In Christ, Romans 8, all things work together for good for those that love him and are called according to his purposes. And so, man, maybe instead of worrying and and being gripped by fear and what if and what if and how's this going to change, we shift our focus to all of who he is and his promises. Even when we're going through trials, James 1, we should consider it joy because guess what? We're about to get upgraded. And that's exciting. She's on her bed, and she is reminding herself of his words. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. Because of the blood of Jesus, you are perfect. You are without sin. You are righteous. You are holy because of the blood of Jesus. For my head is wet with dew and my locks with the drops of the night. And she responds in verse 3, I had put off my garment. How could I put it on? I had bathed my feet. How could I soil them? I want you to see what's going on here in verse 3. She hears him calling to her, but she hesitates. She hesitates. How many of us can relate to that? Yeah. The rest of you are not raising your hand. You're lying. Okay, don't lie. This is church. No, I'm just kidding. No, don't lie. You are the church. 
Because the temple of the Holy Spirit is in you. Listen, listen, we've all hesitated. We've all hesitated. We feel God leading us to do something and we hesitate. We feel God calling us to do something and we don't get up and do it. I remember one time we were uh, handing out turkeys, and I'll never forget this. And, and we had made some turkey baskets, and we put them together, and uh, we're going to different kids' houses over Thanksgiving because we wanted to bless the families of Urban Youth Impact. And so we went to this one house, and I'll never forget, I'm knocking on the door, I hear a, a, a voice, who is it? Um, hey, it's uh, Chris from Urban Youth Impact. Uh, we have your turkey dinner for you, you know? And so the voice was, come on in. So I came in, and the, 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 pers- the, the parent was there watching TV, and it was WWF, by the way, okay? So some of us can relate how, man, we, we don't want to get off the couch, right? We, we like WWF, okay? Uh, if that's even around. I think it's WWE now, but anyway, I don't, I don't watch that because wrestling is not real. This is, this is the church. We're the pillar of truth, right? Wrestling's not real, okay? Anyway. Um, so so I'm, I'm sitting there, and, and, and I have the turkey and the fixings, and, I, and again, not even looking towards me, continuing to watch wrestling, say, says this to me, just put it, put it right there on the table. I'm like, okay, all right, well, um, okay, goodbye now, we're we're leaving, WWE, don't even say goodbye, don't even say thank you, don't even, I get in my car, and I'm heated, ungrateful, unthankful, entitled, all these things that I was going through my head, you know, I'm going to go back in that house, go grab the turkey and bring it back and go give it to somebody else who will be thankful. And all this stuff is rising up within me. And guess what? I'm calling that righteous anger. Listen, church, every time you think you're angry, it's righteous anger. Yeah, you. Yeah, all of you. Oh, it's righteous anger, brother. It's righteous anger. Oh, really? Sometimes we can be so spiritual, we can justify what's really going on. What was really going on in me, and I could have cloaked it in a righteous anger. I was doing something, and I wanted thanked. And God showed me the corruption and wickedness in my heart. How many of us have been mad because the church didn't recognize me? I've been, I've been moving chairs for 27 years, and I never got that button. Ha! I'm leaving that church. You know what else got exposed in me? He exposed this. Hey, Chris, how many times have you been watching TV And I ask you to get off the couch and shut it down and come be with me in your room and just worship me. 
and you wanted to watch basketball because basketball is real. <laughs> or you wanted to watch the Dolphins when you know they're just going to make you cry. And so, again, if I say to you, church, now that we've been hit with a little dose, raise your hand if you've ever hesitated. Yeah, okay, good. The rest of you aren't listening. It's not that you're lying, you're just not listening. We can all relate to this. And this is why, God, this is, this is a prayer of a, of a disciple. Lord, in my flesh, I want what I want. But help me to move past that so that when you call, I come. Help me to, 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 to have a heart that is so full of love for you that just one whisper, one move, God, I want to move with you. And I'm willing to drop anything and everything that this world has to offer because I'm so in love with you. She hesitates here. She hesitates here. We're going to pick that up in a second. Verse 4, my beloved, he put his hand to the latch and my heart was thrilled within me. So even though she's hesitant, she's still excited. I arose, verse 5, to open to my beloved and my hands, they dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the bolt. So she's excited. Myrrh, again, just by way of review, the wise men brought Jesus gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Myrrh represents a burial spice. Myrrh represents an ingredient that has to be crushed, but when it's crushed down, it creates a beautiful smell and a beautiful aroma. And so I believe these, this uh, um, pointing to the myrrh here in verse 5 twice it's because it could be a foreshadowing of what is to come. A foreshadowing of what is to come. I want you to, to jot down uh, 2 Timothy 4.6. You don't have to turn there, but I just want to read this to you. Because a lot of believers don't, don't understand that God knows the day that you're going to die. He knows that day. Um, in fact, Hebrews 9, 27, I think it is, it says it is appointed a person to die and then the judgment. The day of your death, it's already figured out, right? It's already known, just like turkeys, the 25th of November, okay? Turkeys, we know the date of their death. I messed that joke up. Anyway, um, so 2 Timothy 4.6, Paul is saying, and this is the last book that he wrote before he was martyred. It says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. If God let Paul know the time of his departure has come, why are you different than Paul? Why can't I know that time? In reading this, I was reminded of a friends um, of, of ours, Herman and Brenda Johnson. They, they were in the church I, I grew up in. And what was amazing about Herman and Brenda is that in one week, the wife died 
I, I can't remember who went first. Anyway, the husband died, then the wife died a week later, or the wife died, the husband died a week later. I can't remember. It's like 10 years ago, but in the same week, and it's just like, oh, Colleen and I were like, can we go like that, Lord? Because I don't, if, if, if she goes, I kind of want to go with her. Now, I can't force God to do that, but that's what I want. Right, Colleen? That's what we want. (laughs) But God knows the time of our departure. He knew that Peter was going to deny him three times because Satan had asked to sift him like wheat, but Jesus said, hey, when you return from that, strengthen your brothers. There's a season of testing that's coming for you, Peter. But when you return from that, strengthen your brothers. And so, listen, the Holy Spirit is God, and he knows the end from the beginning. There can be foreshadowing that happens in your life where God can let you know what is coming. And a lot of us don't think like that or expect that. Paul knew the date of his death. Rick Merrill tells me, To be forewarned is to be forearmed. Sometimes we get warned so that we can be armed and ready. But many of us don't walk with our dad in such a way where we don't think he can tell us what's coming. I'll never forget, I was talking to a friend of mine who had all these stocks and stuff like that. And it was right before the crash, Uh, I think it was like in 2008, and he's like, yeah, the Lord told me to empty out all my stocks and and my investments and and to buy gold. And he did that. And when everything crashed, gold popped up, and all of a sudden, right? Now listen, guys, God the Father loves you. And he may want to talk to you about your finances and what to do for them. But see, we go and we get a financial advisor and we look at that person as if they're it. Well, what about the Holy Spirit's role in your life anyway? I'm going to keep going because it's a kind of I'm off a little bit. When I went to Africa, somebody that I trust gave me a prophetic word. And this was the prophetic word. I wrote it down. She said, Chris, you're going to go through a season of fire where Satan's going to sift you like wheat. But don't worry, when you come out of it, your heart is going to be refined like pure gold. I don't know about you, but what do you think I focused on? The fire. And so, as I'm going to Africa, I got a picture that they just killed a seven-foot black mamba on the property where I was staying in a tent. I was in a tent, right? So I'm going, I didn't go to any adults, by the way. I went to children's church. And some of your kids, I said, hey, look at this picture. Will you pray for me? I don't like snakes. And I had a bunch of, I had the Willis's kids. I had a bunch of kids praying for, I never, I don't go to the parents. I want faith like a child. Keep those snakes away from me. And guess what? I didn't see one black mamba. 
So I'm in Africa. I'm looking for the fire, fire, fire. Africa was a season of joy for me. But guess what happened? The fire came in my first meeting when I got back to the United States of America. Welcome to the fire. God can foreshadow what's going on in your life. He wants to speak to you. He wants to prepare you for what's ahead. She's dripping with myrrh. I want you to turn to Philippians 4, please. I want you to understand God, he speaks through nature. There's summer. There's fall, there's winter, there's spring. There's these different seasons. Listen, disciple, you are in a season right now. You're going to come out of a season We see this progression in the book of Song of Songs where she's, chapter one, there's a kissing season. And then there's a season of consummation where he brings her into, right? And then there's the banqueting season, right? Your banner, you brought me into the banqueting house or the house of joy. Your banner over me is love. Then there's a gardening season, right? Chapter four. And so this season that we're in in chapter five is going to be a season of testing for her. And many of us, we don't, we don't keep our focus on God during the season that we're in. Look at Philippians 4.10. This is Paul. He's talking to this church, and he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. So they were financially supporting him, but it stopped for a season, but then they started again. And he's just thanking them. And it says, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned. And you want to highlight that, I have learned. Every Christian should, should have a posture of learning. Why? Because we are apprentices. We are following the teacher, the master, Jesus. So we're always learning. I've learned in whatever situation I am, am to be content. Content means this. It means to stop the flow. It's like if you're drinking water, you stop because you've had enough. Have we ever drank water and drank water and drank water and drank water? And now, instead of going back outside to play, we're, our stomach's all full and we're sick because we drank too much water. We weren't content with the water. And so Paul says, I've learned to be content. Verse 12, I know how to be brought low. I know how to go without. I know how to be poor. I know how to suffer. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. The house of joy, the house of celebration. I know how to do that. And in any, 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 and every circumstance, I have learned. That's the second time we see the word learn. That's why I had you highlight it, please. Learn, learn, learn. Contentment is learned, Christian. And the secret of facing plenty and also hunger, abundance and need, is verse 13, that I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. 
As I abide in Christ and I learn how to be content because he alone satisfies, I know what it means to be rich and I know what it means to be poor. No matter what I face, I'm going to be content because I've learned that. Well, how do you learn that? Through trials, through suffering. And so prayer time here, listen, this is kind of a joke, but it's also serious. It's prayer partner training, by the way. Prayer partners, listen. Somebody comes up, oh, I'm going through this season. The enemy's attacking me. Will you just pray for me? We want to listen. We want to say, okay, hey, I understand, but let me ask you a question. Have you rejoiced over this yet? I say that in love and in sincerity. Oh, Chris, how can you be so hard? Listen, James 1, consider it joy, my brothers, when you go through trials, because it's the testing of your faith, and that produces something in you that is amazing. Like, have you rejoiced the fact that this trial, the outcome is already secure? The outcome is going to be victory? The outcome is going to be you becoming more like Jesus? Have you really rejoiced and said, thank you, God, for this trial? Chris, that's why nobody comes up for prayer. Chris, where's your compassion? Sometimes we're nicer than God. And that's where we get into trouble. This is why we need to pray for the prayer partners because they don't want to say what you want to hear. They want to say what God wants them to say. I had to tell a young man that came up wanting healing Because the Lord gave me a word that he was in sin and he needed to repent of that sin so that God could heal. Now, is everybody who's sick in sin? No, no, we can't we can't think like that. But this guy was. And so we have a really poor philosophy and doctrine around suffering as a church. It's very bad. Most of the time I see in the church, we're just blaming Satan. When it could be your father allowing you to go through something because he's trying to expose what's going on. I could have blamed that person on the couch not being thankful and grateful that she had a demon. And then I could justify me going back and taking that turkey. But here's the deal. Whatever happened and whatever was going on, I thank God for that because it exposed immaturity in me. What is the motive of you serving, Chris? Is this for you? Is this about your accolades? Is this about your success? Do you need a pat on the back? Oh, you're so great, Chris. And listen, everybody who serves in ministry, you're going to have to go through this test. The very ones you're dying for, they're going to curse you. They're going to hate you. They're going to speak about you bad. They are going to attack your motives. And guess what? Are you still going to die for them? Because guess what? If we pray, Jesus, I want to be like you. Well, guess what? He's got to give you a Judas in order to do that. 
And the reason why we have bad doctrine around this stuff, pain, suffering, trials, is because of the prosperity doctrine that has infiltrated the church of Jesus Christ. Look, when you get saved, yeah, Jesus is going to make your life better. But you're going to have to go through a test that everybody's going to reject you. All your friends may leave you and not want to talk to you because you're talking about the ten hordes of the Antichrist and they're like, you've lost your mind. And what are you going to do? Jesus says, whoever loves your mother and father more than me is not worthy of me. Some of us had to go through that test where our family rejected us because of the name of Christ. And so contentment is learned, guys. It's learned. And how is it learned? It's by going through different seasons with the Lord where we learn how to, man, not rejoice so much when things are going really, really well but learning also how to rejoice in a way, even even when things are going well, that, hey, this doesn't really satisfy me. You have a proper outlook on life. You know, things of this earth do not satisfy. Yeah, it may be fun for a season, but what if, what if that all goes away and, and you get exposed to, wow, my contentment's really not in Christ. My contentment was in what Christ is going to do for me. And when he doesn't do what I want him to do, therefore, wow, my Christianity's just, and it, is, it exposes you. Why? Because you're a selfish lover. You're following Jesus for what he can do for you rather than, rather than, what you can do for him. And that's not how Jesus walked. Let me just tell you this, church. As Jesus did ministry, we see he was at a wedding in John chapter 2 at Cana. That was a season of party. And so there was a lot of great meals. There was uh, 5,000 people, you know, being multiplied out. There was walking on the water. What a cool party to be at. But there is also the season of Gethsemane. And that's coming for you all if you're a Christian. God's preparing you. Some of you are like, wow, what, I wish I would have missed today. Can't we get back to the, uh, yeah. The other good stuff's coming in chapter 7. You can read ahead. But, but, but this is not chapter 7. Let's go to verse 6, please. It says, I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. My soul failed me when he spoke. I sought him, but I found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. And so, as we go through this chapter again, right, the excitement of her beloved knocking, my heart was thrilled within me, right? Verse 5, she's dripping with mirth, like she is like, I can't wait, but then verse 6, man, I'm crushed. He's gone. Where are you? Where are you, God? You're going to go through a season where you feel like God is not around. This is going to be a season for you where God is maturing you. 
Let me just say this. I read some commentaries on this because there's two tests here. The first test is when God hides himself, if you're taking note. And the second test is church hurt because she's about to get beat down by the church leadership, okay? Every Christian goes through these tests. Some of the commentators say the reason why she's going through this test is because she procrastinated in verse 3. And let me just say, I'm, I'm no commentator, but I disagree with that completely. I think that is the height of immaturity when we think like that. Uh, let, me, let me give you an example here. We need to be very, very careful when bad things happen that we don't become like Job's friends that are saying, hey, this is what's happening because you did this, because you did this, you did this. Like, hey, that may be a question that you bring before the Father. Hey, why is this happening? But we got to be very careful when we're dogmatic about that stuff. Church, because there's a lot of church hurt. I, 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 my wife went through a situation with a young lady. He brought her to, to the book of uh, Samuel, and there was a priest that was blind and basically told my wife, hey, you're blind, you're in sin, and that's why God's doing this. I'm like, girl, come here, girl, let me... Anyway. Um, so immature believers think like this, and you might want to write this down. If I do this, what will God do to me? That's immaturity. If I do this, what will God do to me? If, if when you sin, that's your first thought, let me just read this verse to you. 1 John 4, 18, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. If I am fearful of that punishment, my focus is not on the cross because God's wrath for me was satisfied on that cross. It is gone. It is swallowed up. Now, there's an aspect of reaping and sowing. There's an aspect of consequences. But if I'm fearing punishment from my father, I'm not convinced of his love. Many of us believe because of our parents that God the Father is a punitive God, that he's just waiting for you to mess up so he can whoop your behind. And when we've been brought up in a family that moved like that, when we've been brought up in a church where it's hellfire and brimstone, listen, listen, there's hell, there's fire, there's brimstone. But Jesus took hell, he took fire, he took brimstone on the cross. And because of my faith in him and the finished work on the cross, I don't get that. He saved me from that. So I'm not worried about punishment. And see, when you're worried about punishment, who are you thinking about? Yourself. Yourself. You see, when, when, when I think about myself after what I've done and how this is going to affect me, that is worldly sorrow. That's not godly sorrow. 
Worldly sorrow thinks about the consequences. It thinks about what is this going to do to me. It thinks about my reputation and all the focus is on me. That's immaturity. That's someone that's not mature in love. Mature in love? What does that look like? Turn to John chapter 8, verse 29. What does maturity look like? Mature, immature, immature, if I do this, what will God do to me? Mature people think like this. If I do this, how will this affect God? Because I love him more than anything. And I do not want to grieve him. I do not want to hurt him. This thing is not about me. It is all about him. And so when I'm mature in Christ, it's not about the consequences for me. I'm worried about how I hurt him. Because I'm consumed with him. And this is how Jesus walked John 8, 29, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Christian, you are mature. If you can say all, everything that I do, I do it to please him. It's my motive to please him. What was my motive in handing out the turkey? It was to please Jesus, but there was a mixture in my heart. That's why I got offended. And we've got to be careful of the mixture that's in our heart, church. We've got to ask God to expose that. How's he going to do that? Through trials, through things, through church hurt, to see what's really going on. Are you living to please me? Or, or do you want the genie in the bottle, Jesus, where if I rub you the right way, you'll do what I want? And there's so many that are offended by God because they did this, this, and this, and then this didn't happen. <sighs> Charles Swindoll, he says that life is 10% what happens to you and 90% of how you respond. In this test, God is hiding, hiding, hiding. Isaiah 45, 15 says this, it says, truly, you're a God who hides himself. O God of Israel, the Savior. God hides himself. Proverbs 20, 25, verse 2, it says, it's the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings is to search it out. So not only does God hide himself, he also hides things. But he wants us to search it out. In Psalm 74, verse 8, they said to themselves, we will utterly subdue them. They burned up all the meeting places of God in the land. We do not see our signs. There's no longer any prophet. There's none among us who knows how long, how long, O oh God, is the foe to scoff, the enemy to revile your name, O oh God. Why do you hold back your hand? Why do you hold back your right hand? Take it from the fold of your garment and destroy them. How many of us, our enemies are just crushing us, crushing us, crushing us, and we're like, how long, oh God? The song says you're going to fight my battles. You're not doing it. And this is where 
The mature have an opportunity to become immature. The immature say, I tried that, it didn't work. The mature continue to press in and begin to hold on to, God, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I go? Jesus, you said you're never going to leave me or forsake me. I'll cry out with David, how long, O Lord? How long, O God? Why are you hiding yourself? But I know, I know you're going to show yourself strong on my behalf. Sorrow may last for the night, but what? Joy comes in the morning. It's going to come. You're going to work all things together for good. And you begin to get up in the word of God and pressing into the promises of God because that's the reality that you are going to come into because that is your inheritance. He is not a man that he should lie. His truth reigns. But a lot of times our feelings reign. Can you imagine Joseph? He was the favorite. He had the coat of many colors. He was getting downloaded dreams. But then sold into slavery by his brothers. He was a slave, lied about, went to prison. 17 years of God, where are you? 17 years of suffering. 17 years of how long, O oh Lord? Some of us are offended at God because he didn't show up like you wanted him to or you thought he should. He gave you a vision and it didn't turn out the way you thought. And then you get stuck in self-pity. And guess what? We can't minister into self-pity. Self-pity is a, is a, is a thing that, that people can't pull you out of that. Self-pity's pride. And you have to repent of the self-pity. God understands it. And he puts us in these seasons where, man, it seems like he's hiding himself. Where are you? Where are you? But are you going to be a person that relies on faith and not feelings? Immature Christians need God's presence in order to worship. I got to feel his presence. Immature Christians need a specific type of worship music. It's not my style to worship. I want you to understand the rocks are crying out and they don't need anything. I remember when my little girl was a baby and she would be in her crib and I'd hear her jumping up and down in the crib just waiting for me to come pick her up. She was jumping, she was smiling, she was excited. Why? Because daddy was coming. There was no music. She was wanting her dad. She didn't need any, anything. She was wanting her dad. Come pick me up, daddy. Oh, I miss those days. <laughs> so when God hides himself... He's purifying our motives. Will you worship me even though you don't feel me? There's a lot of immature people that come in and out of the church. I didn't feel the presence when I visited that church. Well, come here, bro. <laughs> what if God's calling you to fast for 40 days and just drink water like Jesus so that the presence will come to this church? 
Jesus, help us as a church to just grow up. Do you, you see the difference between a, a, a discernment and a critical spirit? The sp- critical spirit sounds religious. Oh, I didn't feel the spirit. You didn't feel the spirit, huh? Well, if you... <laughs> All right, I'm going to move. Verse 7, verse 7. The watchmen, they found me. I want you to highlight watchmen. They found me as I went about the city. They beat me. They bruised me. That's a good pastor right there. I guess that wasn't funny. They took away my veil, those watchmen of the walls. Listen, throughout Scripture, watchmen are referred to as church leadership. And so this is test number two. She's she's hurt by the church. Test number one, I'm offended by at God because he's just not around. I was seeking him with a pure heart, but yet he's kind of ghosting me from what I can tell. But am I still going to go after him despite my feelings? And here she's at church and she goes to church for help. And the leadership abuses her, uses her and beats her. Let me just say, as we go into this church hurt, sometimes church hurt is just, and sometimes it's not just. What do you mean by that, Chris? Well, sometimes I hear people coming from other churches claiming church hurt, but then I go find out what happened, and what had happened was The church disciplined the person, they didn't receive and they didn't like it, so they left the church angry and upset, claiming church hurt when it was really godly biblical discipline that they were too prideful to receive. Now, I know nobody's here because of that. You know, it happens way too much. Jesus says, whom I love, I what? I discipline whom I love, I rebuke in Revelation. Man, sometimes we don't understand the hurt that comes is actually coming from a place of love because God loves you. He disciplines those he loves. And sometimes we don't want to come under church discipline when we blame the church for church hurt when really there's some issues in our life that God wanted to address. But because of our pride, we didn't want to listen and we just bounced and went somewhere else. Now, before I get into church hurt, let me just say something. Let's go back to Song of Solomon 3. It says, on my bed at night, I sought him whom my soul loved. Same language is in chapter 5. But I found him not. I will rise now, and I'm going to go about the city in the streets and in the squares. I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but I found him not. And then verse 3, it's very important. The watchmen found me, and as they went about the city, have you seen him whom my soul loves? Scarcely as I passed them, when I found him whom my soul loves, I held him, and I would not let him go until I brought him into my mother's house, into the chamber of, of her who conceived me. So here we see the watchmen actually help her to find Jesus. But in chapter 5, let's go back there. They beat her and they bruise her. Listen, church, you're going to have experiences where the church helps you to find Jesus. 
but you're also going to have experiences at every church where the church actually hurts you. Early on in my Christian walk, I went to this church. Every, every sermon, I'm walking out of there either full of joy or crying like a baby. It was like I'd walk around, my church is number one, my church is number one. A few years later, that pastor fell into adultery and disqualified himself. Church hurt. I was so depressed, I didn't get out of bed for three days. It broke my heart. Because this guy, who I loved and sat under for five years of the most amazing preaching, anointed by God, actually did that. It really, really hurt me. We come into a church sometimes, and, and I hear people say, Chris, I re- you know, you really preach the word, brother. And, you know, and, and so sometimes there's an excitement when you come to a new church. Hopefully, maybe it's your first time, you're never coming back, but that's okay. We love you. So, so, but then the excitement wears off, don't it? The honeymoon goes away, doesn't it? And you start to see things. Like, we've been parking on the grass for like a year. Why don't they figure out a plan, you know? You, you start to see different things, you know? And you, and you call out things. In fact, I, I, got, I got this thing right here. You see this? It says, it says, sit down and don't yell, love, 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 love. That's from my wife, by the way. So I'm really trying hard not to yell at you. So we see the church do good things and we see the church do bad things. You know, for me, if I'm just looking at me, Jeremy, go ahead and put up that Charles Spurgeon quote. I just want to confess some stuff to you as a pastor right now. But this is a great verse, by the way. Or not a verse, it's a, it's a great saying, okay? If anyone thinks ill of you, don't be angry with them. For you are worse than they think. Can I get a witness in this place? So for me, I've been a bad watchman. Been a bad leader. How so, Chris? Well, thanks for asking. Sometimes I've been lazy and I've gone through the motions. And some of you say, hey, Chris, that's okay. That's okay. That happens to us all. Yeah, I know it's okay. But also Proverbs 18, 9 says, whoever is lazy in his work is a brother to him who destroys. If I'm lazy in my work, I'm actually helping the enemy destroy your family. So it's not okay that I'm lazy. James 3 says, I come under stricter judgment in this position. There's been times I've laid down and I didn't fight back. I've shrunk back like a coward. Some of us can relate if we're honest, but understand the weight of that. In Revelation 21.8, it says, As for the cowardly, their portion is in the lake that burns with fire. We can't justify being a coward. And so I have to repent of that. 
I've made poor decisions because I've been in my flesh. I've been angry and just reacted. I've moved too fast in my position. I've made really dumb decisions. I didn't seek the Lord's counsel. Out of frustration, I've beat sheep before. And for those of you who I've beaten, I'm sorry, please forgive me. My job's to feed you, not beat you. There's also been prayerlessness. 1 Samuel 12, 23, Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. It's sin for me not to pray for you. I've done that as well. And recently, I've disobeyed 1 John 2, 1, which says this, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. I was advocating for myself when God was leading me not to. Just shut your mouth, Chris. Take it. Just shut your mouth. Don't respond back to your accusers. Just take it. Let me advocate for you. But here I am advocating for myself instead of shutting my mouth. And let me just tell you, you guys may see me and this is why there's church hurt. I want you to understand these are things that I've confessed to God and asked him to forgive me, not only forgive me, to cleanse me, to change me, to help me, but there's never a church that's set up to hurt people. We hurt people because there is an enemy We hurt people because we're immature in Christ and we need to grow up. I want you to turn to Proverbs 6, please. See, this is going to happen to all of us, and this is why church hurt happens. Church hurt happens because of abominations that are in us. Chris, what, what, what do you mean by abominations? Well, let's see what Proverbs 6 says. It says there are six things, verse 16. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. And let me just say this point again. Church hurt happens because church people, pastors, and also parishioners, we walk with ongoing abominations in us. There's six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Verse 17, haughty eyes. You and I have haughty eyes at times. It's an abomination to God. What's a haughty eye? It's when we have prideful judgments. Whenever you hear the thought, they should know better, they should be doing it that way, whenever you start to declare that over the brothers and sisters in Christ, you are are, are potentially walking with haughty eyes because you're looking down on someone instead of coming close and having a conversation to find out why they're not doing it that way. Seek to understand before being understood. A lying tongue is the next thing. How many of us hold back truth in the church of Jesus Christ because we don't want to offend and we lie? It's rooted in the fear of man. God understands. Pastor Chris, that was a great sermon today. Hey, don't lie to me. I know it was horrible, but tell me how I could do better. 
That's kind of a joke. Anyway, stop joking, Chris. Like, people have told me that. I like those people because you're not funny, Chris, right? So that's what I need to hear. Hands that shed innocent blood. Hands that shed innocent blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cain was jealous of Abel's offering. And when we become envious or jealous of others' worship or gifts, we can can spiritually come against others' pure worship by judgments. Verse 18, a heart that devises wicked plans. How many of us have seen plotting and scheming for church control and church politics happen? Yeah, why? Because we walk with abominations. We're not sensitive to the Holy Spirit. When that maneuvering starts to take place, oh, that is so ungodly. Verse 19, a false witness that breathes out lies, where we begin to say things about people. We begin to name call. We begin to label. Oh, that person has the Jezebel spirit. And then here's the last one, one who sows discord amongst the brethren. Many of us traffic in that, where gossip begins to happen and we slander one another. And that he said, she said said stuff, you know, instead of saying, hey, listen, I appreciate what you're saying to me um, about Randy, but have you talked to Randy? No, you haven't? Okay, don't talk to me. Go talk to Randy and let me know how it goes. If Randy doesn't listen to you, then we'll follow Matthew 18, 15 through 17, and we'll both go talk to Randy. And if he still doesn't listen, we'll bring him in front of the whole church for church discipline. Don't you want that, Randy? Or do you want people slandering you and sowing seeds of discord about you when they've never stepped to your face? That's a, that's a right response. It is between them and Jesus. But understand, church, this is an abomination. These things are an abomination, and this is why church hurt happens. Uh, let's go ahead and put up the Roe versus Wade picture. So I saw this on the Internet, and it's like, if your pastor didn't celebrate Roe being overturned, it's time to find a new church. And what I say, that is not the Holy Spirit. Why would you leave a church because the pastor didn't do something that you thought they should do? That is a judgment. That is the kind of immaturity that I'm talking about here, that you would just cast judgments instead of going to the pastor and saying, hey, why didn't you talk about that? There's been many times where a shooting happened or a cop killed somebody, and because I shut down stuff Saturday night, I didn't know it happened. I'm up early in the morning. I'm not listening to the news, and then I didn't preach on it, and people accuse me. Silence is violence. You don't care. All that kind of nonsense. Hey, bro, I'm not on the news. I didn't even know that happened. And the immaturity, and by the way, you see the anger coming up? That's a righteous anger. <laughs> I don't want us to be, and, and it's not me. Listen, <laughs> you can't be like this. The next one, please. I'm hurt by the church, so I'm leaving. No, I'm hurt by the church, but I'm going to obey Jesus. I'm going to obey Jesus. I'm going to press into the person that hurt me. 
And I'm going to handle it like Jesus says. I'm not going to be immature. I'm not going to go around to other believers in the church. Hey, brother, I need prayer because so-and-so. And no, 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 no. Hey, pray for me because I've got an issue. God knows the issue. Your friend doesn't need to know the name. Jeremy, here's some funny ones, by the way. Stop using church folks as an excuse not to attend the church. There's people in the club, but you still go. Okay, next one. Um, Jeremy, McDonald's can mess up your order 101 times, and you still keep going back. One thing wrong goes church, you quit, right? So anyway, so these are little jokes to lay at your feet. But listen, guys, you're going to be hurt by the church. You're going to be hurt by the church. The church is going to hurt you. Why? Because there's people, like we get in our feelings. We're not always led by the Spirit. We need to give one another grace from time to time. And so not only is the church going to hurt you, but also, listen, pastors can be hurt by the church. Everybody's, a lot of times, and, I, and listen, I, I, can, I can go over this list here that would be really, really long, and we don't have time. From me being called a Saul spirit, even though I've never thrown a spear at anybody. That I have a religious spirit, that I have Jezebel spirit, that I operate in domination, manipulation, and control. That I'm getting rich off the poor, that I'm a false teacher, that bow down's a cult. Which, by the way, by default, that makes me the cult leader. <laughs> Actually, not really. We're elder run, so hey, elders, you guys are cult leaders too. It hurts when we give, 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 and then people ghost. Because there's a better church down the street that offers programs that we need. I'll never forget years ago, Chris, we like your church, but this other church has a volleyball night for the young adults. And, and so I feel like, you know, I just want to go there. And in my righteous anger, I'm like, Really? We have opportunities for you to serve five nights out of the week in different housing projects at Urban Youth Impact. You can come start a volleyball group in the inner city, quippy and selfish, where it's not about you. And I start judging like that, and guess what I'm doing? I'm in the wrong spirit because maybe they do need fellowship and they don't need to serve. You see how this kind of stuff happens? So in my immaturity, I'm judging a church, the, like, like the church that should be doing this and should be doing this and should be doing this, when really I need to back up off people. And I've got to say, Holy Spirit, judge me. Search my heart. Know me, right? This is why Jesus said in, in Matthew 7, he said that Hey, be careful, be careful when you're judging, right? There's a log in your eye. First, get the log out so that you can see clearly so you can get the speck out of the other person's eye. So we have to be very, very, very careful about judging. All right, I'm shutting it down right now. We're all going to experience church hurt. But it is unacceptable. I want you to write this down, please. It's unacceptable for anyone who claims that they're a Christian to continually walk in church hurt. Avoiding the work of reconciliation. You can't do that 
You can't continue to stay in church hurt and use that as an excuse. You've got to press into the ones that have hurt you. Listen, I'm here today. I'll be up at the front. If I hurt you, you come see me. My heart's never to hurt. It's never to hurt. If there's past churches that have hurt you and you've come from them, here's what I would like you to do. Write down what they did to you. Write down what they should have done and begin to forgive them and release them. God, I forgive them. I release them of the debt that they owe. And then begin to pray, ask Jesus to heal you, but then also begin to pray blessings over them from now on. Bless that church. Bless that pastor. Bless that congregation, God. I thank you for them, God. How can I wash their feet? Because Jesus, you washed Judas's feet. I felt like they treated me like a Judas. So I want to be like you. How could I wash their feet? And some of you may leave our church today. Because you need to go back. Because you left out of immaturity. And you need to go make things right. If you need counsel in that, I can help you. And the church is here to help you. But we can't be immature. You got to deal with church hurt. You have to. She goes through this church hurt. And guess what? She's still, verse 8, sick with love. She's sick with love. She's still in love with Jesus no matter what. Now, some of you have hurt you today by going a little bit longer, and I'm sorry, the clock's still broken back there. So please forgive me. Let me go ahead and pray. Um, Worship team, come on up. Prayer partners, come on up. Father, we just bow before you. We humble ourselves now before you, God. We invite you, Holy Spirit, you are the spirit of truth to lead us and guide us into all truth. We open ourselves up for those times that we have been hurt by our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I pray, God, right now for the grace to be able to forgive the grace to be able to release, and the grace, God, to be able to bless. Do a mighty work within us, God, as a church. May we be healthy, may we be whole. God, if some of us have been walking in abominations, God, I just pray for true repentance to happen today. That we would make a commitment to you. Oh God, please don't help. Help me to never do that again. I want to be pure. I want to be right. I want to be holy. Forgive us, God, for the times we've entered into a critical spirit instead of true discernment that sees something wrong but comes closer because we love. Forgive us for those times where we've just walked away from the hurt rather than pressing into the pain because of love. And ultimately, Jesus, everybody left you at the cross. The time where you needed them most in Gethsemane, your disciples were sleeping and they kept falling asleep on you, but nothing disturbed you. Even when they all ran away, you embraced that cross because you love your bride, you love your bride, you love your bride. And I pray for this bride, God, 
that she would move past church hurt and press in so that we can continue to mature. We need you, God. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for visiting us today. Make sure to check us out online at www.bowdownchurch.com.